It really made me realise this incredible um, network of people that are in Shanghai um, that are so generous that they've sent me this this lamp that is so obnoxious. <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. So one big correction from last week's episode with Michael Z from Symmetry Breakfast. Apparently, you can see old people walking around in their pajamas everywhere across China and not just in Shanghai. But that's not to say it's common. There were some people on the WeChat group who said they haven't seen it since the 90s. The bigger debate was on why it happens. There were a couple of people who looked to historical reasons where it was a symbol of status that you didn't need to work. Then there were others who linked it to the fact that older buildings still might not have indoor plumbing. So it's common for people to pop out in their pajamas to use shared amenities. But that theory doesn't quite explain the fact that you can still see it happening on the main roads. And that might be explained if you're near a hospital. Most of these are on the main roads, and it's common for people to take fresh air in their hospital pajamas. But if none of the above applies, it might just be because some older people view pajamas in the same way that younger people view sweatpants or loungewear. Just something to wear out of convenience if you can't be bothered to put on anything else. If you'd like to join the group on WeChat, then please send me a friend request on my ID, Oscar10877, and I'll add you there myself. I promise it won't be about pajamas every time. Out of all the interesting things we discussed last week, I would not have thought that it was about old people in pajamas that everyone would have been talking about. But seeing as it's so popular, maybe it's time for me to set up my own Instagram account called Symmetry Pajamas, and I'll give Michael a run for his money. And so, on to today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with V Vu. Apart from how much I love her name, with just four letters, it's the most economical name that I know, what I also love is her story, which shows how someone who was feeling lost in Shanghai can ultimately become part of a fitness movement that's spreading across China and the world. You'll hear about how FitFam is not just about making people in China fit, it's also about making them confident and making them into future leaders. We also talk about how you manage a volunteer organization when it's hard enough to motivate people who are being paid for their efforts. And then how to grow it without compromising on its founding ideals. And finally, it's a good advert in general about the benefits of living and working overseas and how you can go from knowing no one in a city which you find intimidating to being in a position which helps you define who you are. So if you're someone who is thinking about making a big change in your life, either moving to a new city or a new country, and especially if you're not a natural extrovert, then this episode is for you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. I am here with V Vu, and V is, apart from being in the fashion industry, a co-founder and a community manager of FitFam here in Shanghai. Thanks for having me. I'm really um, glad that you asked me to come along and speak to you today. Let us take a look at what is the object that you have brought in. So tell us. It is, and it is exactly what it it, it sounds like. But it is a white ceramic monkey holding a light bulb. Um, how this actually came to be in my possession. Um, I was on this work trip and I was shopping in Gallery Lafayette um, and looking at the homewares in one of the buildings. That's, that's in Paris, right? Yes, that's in Paris. And I had randomly seen this monkey um, and snapped a, a picture of it and posted it on social media. And it, and all I said was, um, this is a must-have lamp. 
Um, Which was probably half half in jest, was it? <laughs> yes, and I, I d- it, it's special, definitely special. But um, I had a girlfriend message me and say, oh, um, you know, I, I know someone that works there. And then when I got home from this work trip a couple of weeks later, this box had showed up on my door and I opened it. And here was this this monkey. They'd gotten this sent over for me. Um, it was an incredible surprise. Um, he now sits in my house. Um, definitely a talking a talking point for everyone that comes over. But um, it really made me realise this incredible um, network of people that are in Shanghai um, that are so generous that they've sent me this this lamp that is so obnoxious. <laughs> well, I do get your point because there is a funny thing about the interconnectivity of, of life in Shanghai. You say something and then, you know, two two weeks later, it's just somehow materializes um, and, and everyone's just, you know, one or two degrees of separation away from each other. So, you know, there you are snapping a photo of this thing in Paris and then somebody, oh, I know somebody who works for that same company. I mean, what are the odds? And I absolutely halfway around the world as well. So it, it's incredible. And this is a it, it's an Italian brand as well. So it's not even Chinese or even even French. And so this brings me to ask you then about your your life in Shanghai, which I guess this probably in some way epitomizes. What when did it all start? I moved to Shanghai in 2013 from Hong Kong actually. So I'd spent a year in Hong Kong, um, came to Shanghai for a job opportunity. So I I work in fashion, as as we've mentioned, um, and I now work for a French brand and before I worked for a Chinese um, brand. Right. So you've got an interesting mix of culture there. You are obviously, by your accent, Australian. Um, You work here in China and you work for a French company. So you must be in the middle of all three cultures. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of um, made me realize how accommodating you need to be and how clear your communication actually needs to be across you know all all three planes actually um it's made me grow and i i know that i probably speak a lot slower with a lot more clarity um because i've i've meant a lot of people have actually mentioned to me that sometimes they don't understand australians because a lot of the time when you speak to an Australian, they will slur all of their words together or they will use a lot of slang. And I used to do that. But I know that, that a lot of my friends that I've had for a long time probably didn't understand me in the first two months of knowing them. Right. They just nodded politely. But what the hell is that girl saying? <laughs> exactly. Which is awful. And so tell me about how then you, um, I guess, slowly evolved your life here in Shanghai. You obviously came just for the job. Um, but you've grown into so much more. So I want to know exactly how that that progressed with you. I ca- I came here um, knowing no one. So, and I think a lot of other people are obviously in that same position when they first come to China. Um, I'd come from Hong Kong and uh, I'd never actually even visited mainland China before I landed a job here. You know, I, I genuinely did not think that China would be anywhere as clean as it is, as 
large as it is, um, it took me a long time actually to, um, I had gotten a job promotion from Hong Kong to come to Shanghai. So I took my job very seriously when I first came um, and I still obviously do now. But um, so I, it took me about three months and the only places that I traveled in that three months uh, was from work to the grocery store, home, and any one of those, you know, three combinations. I was so I was so uncertain how to make friends, and I had no no connections in in Shanghai. And I even had you know the secretary at work to connect my Wi-Fi for me because I just had no idea. I'd, I'd met some random people, and when I was apartment hunting, actually, and we happened to get into a agent's car together um they ended up finding me my apartment in that in that first week when I was looking but I never talk I didn't talk to them for the first three months we had a a it was like a public holiday it must have been maybe I don't know dragon boat or something like that and I had a day off and I did not know what to do with myself so I had messaged these people and the first thing that they said to me was, oh, we thought that you'd found different friends. I know it now, but I didn't know how open a city like this was. I, I didn't realize that this was, it, it was as easy as a text message. I was not even used to having WeChat. So the first time that these people asked me for my WeChat, I felt like it was it was you know invading my privacy. Yeah, so it sort of um, opened up a lot of other doors. So you know, fr- and as it does in Shanghai, you meet one person, then you meet two people. You, you get introduced to their friends and everything, and and it was this incredibly eclectic group of people that I would never have met. You know, in in different fields, it was so social, and I didn't realize you know that. It's a, it's truly an incredible place. And not many people would call you shy in retiring now, would they? No, not at all. Um, but, you know, this is such a change from who I was. All of my 20s, I was in back-to-back relationships. I'd always, um, uh, for 10 years I was in a relationship, didn't realise how much that defined me. Um, and the person that I was and so it was incredible to be in Asia on my own and um, just to kind of see where where life took me um, and basically discover my own identity and yeah and it's I mean just knowing you as I do it's been the making of you especially with you know what you've done now in your spare time so above and beyond what you've just described Tell us about how this FitFam thing started. We started as a handful of friends just um, working out together at Luan Stadium way back in 2015. Um, We motivated each other to get out there almost every single day and um, we bonded because of that. And we were out there consistently, 6am, almost every day. Um, We had a rest day on Sundays and we found that 
people were interested in what we were doing. So one person would join here, you would tell your friend and then two other people would come and all of a sudden it was 15, 20 people in the field and then someone moved house. So, you know, with anything like fitness, you want that to be convenient. So um, Igor and Katie had moved house and so they had taken FitFam with them. And so they started a new location. I'd started um, Jing'an Stadium with a couple of different friends. And so we sort of organically grew because uh, basically out of convenience. And then over time, um, we realized how important and impactful it was on our lives and how that could actually impact others and it sort of just grew from there so um, I mean now we're at 32 locations in Shanghai and over 63 sessions a week Um, and then we've recently gone into um, 10 other cities throughout the world Um, Beijing and Changzhou in in China and then we've got Hong Kong Taipei and then also some North America, Canada, Malaysia, France. And so it's purely run on a volunteer basis? Yes, um, there's about 90, 90 active leaders that lead workouts um, across all of those locations and globally as well. So um, 100% volunteer run, um, non-profit, uh, yeah, it, 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 we've grown a lot in the last couple of years actually. And, you know, you having also worked in a, a, you know, a more corporate environment, what would you say are the differences or maybe just the similarities between running a volunteer organization? Volunteer engagement is probably one of like the most difficult things um, because, you know, the reasons why I fit fam and you fit fam are, might be different. Um, and also... Uh, not having it it rely on one person and one person only for me at the start um, and for those that know and have worked with me I'm a control freak so it was hard for me to share um, until it was really absolutely necessary um, because it was almost detrimental to the growth of what FitFam is today for me to not feel like something was a burden to someone else I would do something myself and when it 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 becomes that I'll do something myself for thousands of people obviously that is an enormous workload and and some of that fun actually gets sucked out of it if it's only just you it's quite a leveling factor you know you you could be a secretary who is doing FitFam next to the CEO right yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is one of the most exciting things, actually. The, you know, when you, when you wake up, and I, and I wake up at 5.20 most mornings, but when you wake up at 5.20 and you roll out of bed, and I, I, honestly, I really hate mornings, but you roll out of bed disliking life and you show up on the, on the field, naked face, your raw self, um, nothing is more comforting than seeing 20 30 other people on the field also the same and you know getting that 
that workout done before anyone else has even woken up is so powerful and that high five at the end because you got it you know you got through it all together is, is there's there is nothing like that feeling I've been so so proud to see some of our participants graduate and um, now lead so and lead these workouts they're, they're just such powerhouses within FitFam so we probably have maybe 40% Chinese leaders um, or at least bilingual and then um, yeah and, and 60% foreigners we, we would like to probably even up even it up a little bit um, because we wanted to be able to give workouts to more and more people. I have seen mothers um, that haven't haven't worked out in 10 years um, come and come every day then run their first marathon then you know then become triathletes and you know run ultra marathons. They you know, and, and obviously that's an extreme story. But um, just in general, I've seen people be so shy when they first come in um, and then gain confidence. And I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of these people that have gone from, you know, zero to 100. And, you know, then some of them have become, you know, personal trainers and all of this sort of stuff that you would never have guessed, you know, something like FitFam could influence their own life, let alone them be able to do it to others. That leads me to ask you, what is the future? You know, what, what is the, the goal for FitFam and, and where do you see this going in the, in, in the next few years? Everybody has always talked and asked whether um, we would monetize and for us that is not important for for the time being the experience that FitFam is um, we would really really love to give that to as many people as possible what has been magic for us is that that when a different location has been started it's gen it's it's probably been started by someone who was an original in Shanghai. So they understand. They understand that our values and why we do it. And um, they, you know, we do it because we love it. And we give our time because we want to. I guess my, my last question, knowing you and your background as I do, because, you know, your family were traditional Vietnamese, they were, they were refugees into Australia, uh, and they've I guess tracked your course over the last few years. What do they think about your life now here in Shanghai? Look, my mum was uncertain. I'm a very defiant child, um, the black sheep really of the family because I went into arts in the first place and design. So um, for, for quite some time when I moved to Asia, my parents were very cautious, but then my other siblings had children, so then they just let me be. Um, but they, yeah, but eventually, I mean, they can see how happy I am and how much I don't want to come home. Um, not not want to come home because Melbourne is inc- an incredible place to live, but um, just the opportunities, the the big smile on my face, the that genuine happiness that that's what they were probably looking for 
um, for a long time for me. Well, look, thank you so much. Let's move on quickly then to our second part, which is the 10 quick questions. Okay, great. So let's start. Number one, what's your favorite China-related fact? Well, um, everybody knows the four great inventions, which was gunpowder, the compass, paper and printing, but no one knows that they also invented the fishing reel, the wheelbarrow, kites and umbrella. And the umbrella? Yeah, amazing really. But it rained so much in Europe, what the hell were they doing? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Ma fun. Describes every every single situation. And, so, it, and, and for those who don't know Mandarin, explain what that means. Um, it's a word that sort of means troublesome. Um, and it, if it's just something which is a little bit too difficult, but you don't quite want to say no, like you can just say ma fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love it. What is your favorite destination to travel to within China? I'm going to say my own street. I live um, in Chunning district and I recently did a walking tour with um, Duncan from Shanghai Flaneur and and looked at the, the the all this architecture that was just right in front of my nose. I've been living in my apartment for five years mm. and I never realised that this was just under my nose and how much I did not know about Um, where I lived. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? Um, Probably the convenience, actually. So, and this is my miss most and my miss least Mm. because I think that, I mean, it's incredible that everything comes to your door. You run out of toilet paper, you run out of um, oil for, you know, to cook your eggs. It is, it's all just honestly a couple of clicks away which is incredible really and the downside of the same thing probably the wastage actually the Mm. you know the everything being quiety to your door and and quiety being the chinese for fast delivery right yes um and so means that there's packaging um Mm. and a lot of packaging and so i've been really conscious of that um, lately, so I'll purposely go, and, and if I need to go get something to eat, I will make the effort of leaving the home. Is there anything that still mystifies you about life in China? Um, probably, I mean, we talked about it before, but 28 million people. This is the. This the is popu- just Shanghai, right? Yes, the and this is just the po- like this is the entire population of Australia packed into this one city. Oh well, that puts it into context. Yeah, and just how um, well China, Shanghai has been like able to move people from A to B so efficiently um, it is really phenomenal. Where is your favourite place to, to go, to eat, to drink, to hang out? Blackbird, actually. Oh, so, on Columbia there? Circle. Yeah, so, and I only just recently discovered Columbia Circle, actually. But the, you know, it, it's like the perfect mix of everything. You've got great food on the lower floor you've got great cocktails in the middle um and then you've got this gorgeous terrace where they you know they they play movies and everything but it's just this it's a really just great gorgeous space um you know it's a shame that it's probably not columbia circle hasn't actually taken off as yet 
but um, but yeah, but I, I'm really liking Blackbird. What is the best or the worst purchase you have made in China? Probably my most expensive and best is probably my scooter. Actually, you know, I can't um, I can't Shanghai without it. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? Um, gosh, people are going to hate me when I say this, but um, I actually don't use WeChat stickers. <laughs> um, Get out! No, honestly, which is <laughs> awful. I'm. I'll talk about my most used emoji. Okay. <laughs> but it's um it's actually the cleaver, so the knife. And don't think that I'm a serial killer, but I, I actually use it um as a tongue in cheek in a tongue in cheek kind of way. So I actually I use the phrase or else and then I'll throw in like three cleavers a lot. So, you know, and and this will just be in a regular like social context where I'll see you tomorrow. Or else, and then I'll throw th- throw those in. So um, the cleaver is my go-to, and that's in my most recently used emojis all the time. Okay, it's not a sticker, but I do like it. So I'll <laughs> let this pass just. But I am quite scared of you when you say that too. <laughs> <laughs> What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? This is really embarrassing, but um, anything by Mariah Carey. Apparently, uh, I know all the words, and as soon as a song comes on, I'm just I'm belting it. <laughs> this is a telling question because th- that is a very adventurous and ambitious goal, and I believe you to be a very adventurous and ambitious person. I, I think that speaks volumes about you. That that question. <laughs> oh gosh! Don't invite me to AKTV. Okay, and finally, what other China-related media or sources of information do you rely on? I've been listening to a lot of. China history podcasts. I know the one you mean. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Mm. So that's quite good, and I actually really like um, when it's a little bit entertaining. Uh, so that one I, I listen to, and then um, also Inside China. I don't. That's very a bit similar as well. So that yes. go, sort of goes through the history of, for instance, how the dumpling came about and that sort of thing. Oh wait, I don't think I know that one. Okay, yeah, I'll have so to check that there's out. There's not a lot of episodes, but that's quite a good one. The final question in this podcast is: Who would you recommend that I interview from your friendship circle next on Mosaic of China? I'm going to nominate um, Miao Wang. I met. I actually met her about. Two or three years ago, but she more recently has been raising awareness for shark cons- conservation. Actually, so she started this incredible um, project where um, she is talking about educating the general public about underwater life in general. But she also has um, launched a swimwear label, and it's actually made from. Um, Recycled fishing nets. That's awesome. I look forward to meeting Miao. And thank you so much for your time, V. It was a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for having me. So that was V's story. The way she described her network growing in Shanghai will be quite familiar to people here. I've lived in quite a few cities in Asia, such as Tokyo, Singapore, and Hong Kong, but there's something unique about how connections and introductions are made so openly in China, and especially in Shanghai. In fact, I can still remember the person who first introduced me to V. It was Gabby Gabriel, who was one of those people who is very generous with her introductions. So, a special thank you to Gabby. Since this recording was made, FitFam groups have since popped up in Hangzhou, Wuxi, Wenzhou, and Mexico City. 
You can see more on the Instagram account FitFamChina, all one word. V made a reference to the Dragon Boat holiday in China. This happens every year in June, and I just learned the other day actually that it goes back to the ancient state of Chu around 300 BCE. You don't need to know any of that really, all you need to know is that you get the day off work and you're supposed to eat a snack called zongzi, which is sticky rice wrapped in bamboo leaves. Speaking of historical China, V also mentioned the four great inventions that China brought to the world, paper, printing, gunpowder and the compass. I wanted to mention actually that this concept originated from a Western scholar. Chinese scholars prefer to highlight other inventions, and there's a whole debate which you can find online. V also mentioned her scooter, that's the third scooter now, after Philippe and Jorge. She also mentioned a place which has a terrace as her favourite place to hang out, and that's the fourth mention of a terrace. There's definitely a terrace conspiracy going on with this podcast. This one uh, was on top of Blackbird, so there's a photo of that on social media. Just look for Mosaic of China on Instagram and Facebook. There's also a bizarre graph I happen to find which illustrates the population of Shanghai versus Australia, which is something B mentioned. And then finally, there is a picture of her favourite WeChat emojis, rather than WeChat stickers, which were those bloody meat cleavers, three in a row. There aren't actually that many emojis on WeChat, maybe 100 or 150, so I have no idea why a bloody meat cleaver should be one of them. Does anybody else know? Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, editing by Milo De Prieto, artwork by Danny Newell, and China technical support from Alston Gong. See you again next week.